Breakfast with Bob. My name is Bob Babbitt. We're brought to you by the PTO, the Pro Triathletes Organization, by Amp Human, VeloFix, Normatech, Form Goggles, You Can, and our Challenged Athletes Foundation. We just sent out 3,921 grants, totaling $5.9 million to athletes in all 50 states in Puerto Rico and 43 countries around the world to keep them in the game of life through sport. Our next guest the first African-American professional triathlete, but more importantly, from the million-dollar mile, the machine, Mr. Max Spinell. <laughs> How you doing, Max? Bob, I'm doing great. You know, it's hot here. I'm not sure about you, but we're dealing with a little bit of a heat wave up, up here in Northern California, so you know, it's been pretty warm lately. So how does a guy who's a top-level soccer player, right, going to go make a living as a professional soccer player, uh, end up becoming a triathlete? Well, you know, my story is a unique one because my goal was, oh, in life was always to become a professional soccer player. But I ended up dealing with a career-ending injury. And I was working at a coffee shop in the suburbs of Philadelphia about yeah. around 2010, 2011. And I sprained my MCL, which were, uh, the career-ending injury ended my goals of becoming uh, a soccer player, and at the time, this guy, Brian Sullivan, was a regular at this coffee shop, and he asked me, he was like, Max, what are you going to do now that you're hurt? And I said to him, I was just like, I don't know, I heard about this Ironman thing, so maybe I'll just go jump into that. And he was just like, hold on, buddy, like, you don't want to just jump into doing an Ironman. And he was like, hey, you know, we've got this Philadelphia insurance race coming up in June, maybe you should, you know, train for that. I've got this old bike, and uh, you know, just train for it and do the sprint race and see how it goes. So my first race was the Philadelphia insurance race. Um, I ended up getting like seventh or so in my age group and I was hooked ever since. And to go from that to ending up becoming a pro. And I, I think, it, didn't you win that race in Philly at one point? Uh, or top three, uh, the Tri-Rock, Tri-Rock, I think tri -rock. you were, I had, I would think so. I would have to look back. Maybe an age group, not as a pro for sure. Not the pro, I, mean, okay. I think, I think the last pro, it was a time trial. Okay. So we had that time trial. Yeah, was, because of the rain. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And started getting rain recently. So. When did you start to feel that you could be good enough to become a pro? I think uh, when I started winning, you know what? I, when I started winning uh, Delmo races. So after the Philadelphia insurance race, yep. I think Brian was like, all right, let's sit down and like, let's look at some more races that you can do. And he was like, oh, everyone knows Steve Del Monte. So you can you know, go do some Delmo sports. And I believe it was Wildwood. And I sent this email to Delmo and I was like, Delmo, I don't really have a lot of money. I just work at a coffee shop, but I, I enjoy the sport and I'm going to win your race. <laughs> and he was like, okay he's like here here's here's an entropy and i always tell everyone that's how i found out who joe malloy is because there's a famous picture of myself and all these individuals and joe's there and uh joe won that race um i think i got 30th and i was like oh my goodness like this is harder than i thought yes. uh, but i my standard was the day that i won uh, Wildwood was when I knew I can go on to be a pro. So I believe after that. Did you have any sense that there hadn't been a African-American who'd be a professional triathlete before? 
I did because at the time I was also working as a fitness consultant and personal mm. trainer and and this is like 2012. So I, yeah. a lot of people don't know this. My office at the time used to have Andy Potts's and triathlete magazine all over my office. So when I started deciding I wanted to become a pro and then I had all these triathlete magazines on the wall, I did my research and I kind of knew about that. Um, as well as one of my mentors at the time, David Greenfield from uh, Elite Bicycles, Elite Bicycles Philadelphia Bike Company. He just, you know, mentored me and told me there wasn't really anyone uh, that had come along. And so then when you're starting to win races, then then you belong. And you became a pro in 2014? 2014, yeah. 2014. And did it surprise you the amount of media that came from that? Because we look at the sport of triathlon. It's not quite the, doesn't quite have the diversity that you see in a lot of other sports. Uh, did it surprise you? Because you were getting a ton of media there around being the first African-American professional triathlete. I, yeah, I did. But I think that media came from individuals like yourself. And a lot of people don't know that, you know, the heads of lifetimes and the Delmos and those individuals really helped get my story out there. Right. I did the Beijing International Race. Right. I did Escape from Alcatraz a few times. And a lot of people don't know that people like yourself and other individuals that were there, I think you guys helped my platform grow and help kind of open those doors. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what kind of fostered all the additional attention that came from those opportunities because, you know, a lot of doors were open. And when we look at it, one of my favorite guys, Bernard Lyles out of Chicago and his TriMasters yep. program. And I know you've been, you've, you've gone there and checked out what they're doing. But yep. using what is considered a white sport, what's considered an, a, a high, uh, you have to have huge bankroll to be able to do this, to use this sport like Bernard does to teach kids who might not have the wherewithal to buy a bike, that this sport can give them skills that will help them in life. Yes. Uh, talk a little bit about that and, and how the sport of triathlon, something that you wouldn't consider for use that way actually does serve that purpose. Well, with triathlons, what it does, it, it, it tends to cause a certain type of self-reflection and self-development. And I believe Bernard's program has been around for about 30 years now, yep. going on 30 years. And his program is a prime example of just taking kids that don't necessarily have that opportunity. And then they later go on, go through college. They still continue to live a healthy lifestyle, but they're becoming lawyers and they're becoming doctors. Uh, he's got some kids now that are becoming, you know, that are looking like they might uh, follow the path of being an endurance athlete. But when you come from an area like Chicago, there's another kid I'm talking to who was just telling me the other day, he was doing a tempo run during gunshots, right? So when- That can speed up your tempo. Yeah, I, seriously, right? Yeah. So when you're coming from an environment like that and you're someone that looks like me, triathlon has a way of just opening up a flood of doors for you. If it's working doors, if it's educational doors, um, if it's media doors, the sport of triathlon, the community, the individuals you meet, as well as this lifestyle, it tends to just create a level of self-independence that you just progress because of the sport, right? I mean, you've known me since like 2012, yeah, right? And 
I was a kid at the coffee shop and now I have my own coffee company. And that's because I, the sport of triathlon told me that, hey, Max, if you continue to keep working towards your goal, if you continue to train, right, good things will come from that. I believe there was like an, uh, one of the early emails I said to Brian, I was like, you know, right, and I'm just this, you know, I'm a black kid working at a coffee shop, right, a 20-something-year-old, and I'm like, Brian, it seems like all these doors keep opening. And he was like, Max, if you keep up with this sport, more doors will open. And that's literally what has always happened for me. So with what's happening in the world right now, right? I always look at things from a sports perspective and I yeah. go, you know, all sports are equal opportunity abusers, right? They don't care, black, white, missing a leg, wheelchair. Can you get from point A to point B? Can you make the basket? Can you, whatever you need to do, can you do that? That's all that matters. Yeah. As a guy who came from that in soccer where you, you were judged, I'm assuming, on your skill, period. Of course. Yeah. When you walk outside, get away from the soccer pitch, uh, life is different. Yeah. Did, did that happen for you as well, where all of a sudden people are looking at you differently at, when you're not an athlete, when you're just a regular person walking the streets? No, it's the same, right? And are you talking in regards to soccer or in triathlon? Well, it's a more along the lines when you get off the soccer pitch and here these people are who are your friends. And then when you're in real life, people look at you differently when you're somebody with, with darker skin for some reason. Yeah. Did, did you have to deal with that? Yeah. I mean, so that's something that I've just dealt with my entire life and with the current events, what happens is when these situations happens, it brings up all of those situations of reminders about the color of your skin. So for me, like I can't contemplate judging someone by the, the color of their skin because I just, I, I don't understand. I don't understand why someone judges me for the color of my skin. And, you know, if it's from triathlon or if it's from when I was the age of six, there's just constant experiences that I've dealt with of being judged or dealing with hate just because of what I look like. And that does something to you from a, from a mental standpoint, right? Yeah. It, it, it really it really starts to take a toll on you. And a lot of people don't realize this whole week I've been physically trained, right? I've barely been able to train because you're just like all the trauma and all those experiences, like your mind just keeps going through it and feeling that. It's funny because it's, it's I don't think for, for a lot of us, when we leave the house in the morning and we go out and you see a police car in the rearview mirror, you don't, I, I don't panic. But I know that uh, people of color, every time they see a policeman or any situation they go into, they have to be aware. And as a parent, their children have to be aware. Did growing up in, did you grow up in Philly and was that something you dealt with on a daily basis? Yeah, so I grew outside of, outside of Philly. And to give you some context, like yeah. I do have members in my family that are police officers. So my cousin's a police officer and his children are police officers as well. It's like I grew up with a judge behind me and my neighbor was uh, a firefighter and a police. So I grew up with this image of like a lot of law enforcement around me. Yeah. But that still didn't change the negative experience that I had, right, of dealing with those circumstances. and. Um, I'm sorry, what was the rest of your question? Well, it just along that same line, what were maybe some of the worst experiences you had? Just because we don't think about it. I'm going to yeah. go to work. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. We don't think in terms of 
I could be, my life could be compromised. I could be yeah. at risk just doing this. What were some of the worst experiences you had just living your life? Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest experience that I, I recently dealt with, that I can remember is here in Silicon Valley. So I live in Menlo Park. I literally live down the street from Facebook and it's an entirely nice area. And I was going down Willow Street, which is you know, uh, the street that Facebook's on. And I was making a left on the 101 to head towards San Francisco. And one of the products my company has is an espresso shot. And it just comes in like a standard like lotion or like medicine looking like type of mm -hmm. plastic bottle. And I'm driving my car and I'm like taking a sip of it. Next thing you know, I get pulled over by an unmarked police car. This guy comes out, his hands on his gun. He's like, turn your car off. Uh, license and registration. I'm like, okay, I have nothing in the car. And mind you, what's very important when these situations happen, when a cop pulls behind a black person or pulls behind me, there is this feeling I've never experienced before where my body is flooded with a sense of adrenaline. I get all tingly, like my heart starts pounding. And it's just like this worst feeling of anxiousness, right? And so I'm like, like you're, you're like shaking, you're like, all right, I don't have anything in the car or whatever. And then the police officer goes, what's that in your lap? And I go, oh, this is uh, an espresso shot. This is what, um, this is the product of my company. He goes, uh, this is a product of my company. And he goes, oh, I thought that was syrup. We're having a syrup issue. Um, sorry about that, you can go. Literally 30 seconds. This all happened in 30 seconds. Unmarked police car, pulls me over, guy on his belt and to say that he pulled me over for syrup that was an espresso shop. What if he was thinking I was a drug dealer or whatever excuse and shot me and everybody would be like, Max got shot because they thought he was with syrup. But either way, why was an unmarked car pulling me over, right? right. Well, and as, a guy, as anybody, if a unmarked car pulls me over, I'm just like, oh, for what? Why would you do that? And why would an unmarked car be pulling anybody over? That's, yeah. that's pretty scary because it's basically exactly. that could be just a regular bad guy pulling yeah. you over and robbing you. Yeah. And if you didn't stop, yeah. then you'd be in jail. Exactly. Like you're supposed to know he's, an, he's, he's a cop, even though it's unmarked. Exactly. Was he wearing a uniform? Yeah. No, he was like in plain clothes. But like, oh my but God. the car, but the car lights came on. But still, you know what I mean. So anybody right. can do that. Anybody exactly. can put a lights. Wow. So from triathlon, uh, what what do you think was your best race as a as a pro triathlete? Ooh, my best race as a pro triathlete. Hmm. Actually, I know Lifetime Fitness recently <laughs> uh, because, you know, uh, done a lot of great things with Hootie. And I would just say uh, this past year, because we, we did this really cool try to catch Max race series with Lifetime Fitness. Love um, that. And, you know, it was it was the most fun I've had because, you know, I was talking to a bunch of people. It was very low stress and all like and all I had to do was just worry about people catching me um and uh the super sprint so i what is it like i've won the super sprint two years or three years in a row um and i'll give a shout out to braxton i got a 14 year old kid that's just waiting for the day when he's gonna be fast enough to beat me and i'm sure it's gonna come right <laughs> so Bra was this braxton in philly season. uh no this is in chicago oh chicago, chicago. okay so the chicago. guys had to try to beat you yeah so 
what it was is if you beat me, they would give away, uh, Lifetime was giving away like watches and prizes and stuff. Or if you placed within a minute of my time, yeah, uh, you got a prize. So uh, this past Chicago try, everyone was racing me for that. So I love that. Cool. Yeah. So when did you hear from the folks with LeBron James that they're doing cool. a show um, called The Million Dollar Mile? Yeah. And they now originally they call you to try out to be yeah, yeah, one of the yeah. defenders. Yeah, so I actually didn't know it was LeBron James's team that scouted me. So like it was like his team somehow found me, right? But it was it was a vigorous process where it was like I think I had a month or and a half to get ready for whatever this weird concept game was. Yeah, right. They just reach out to you, and then there's uh, like a casting process, right? You do essentially like a video call, and then there was a tryout, right, where they set up these obstacles around the track. Um, and you had to like jump through this pit and go underneath this and like carry heavy weights. And, and literally I had just got done spending the past three years training to get my upper body small, not lifting heavy lean. weights, trying to, yeah. right. Trying to lean. And my coach is just like, all right, Max, like start weights. We gotta, we gotta figure this out. So thankfully, um, I was able to, you know, pass the tryout process. There were a lot of people, I think it like, you know, like a hundred people or yeah. so. I don't even know. Um, and uh, another shout out to Kevin Hodder from that production company, from Whistler Production Company of just, you know, taking a chance on me and knowing that I could, uh, I'd be up for the job because that they really need to make sure that you are fast and strong and, you know, you can really put on a good show. So it's interesting what we were chatting about earlier is it's so hard to, when you see people running to know how fast they're going, right? Cause yep. usually they're not running with somebody a lot slower than them. Like yeah, yeah. If the guys are running five minute miles and they're running next to me, you can tell they're fast. Yeah, exactly. But if you guys are running five twenty pace to chase somebody down, you really can't tell because they're pretty fast too. How exactly? How brutal was that that whole deal? Being a defender and having to run people down and it was the most adrenaline rush, nerve wracking experience I ever had because first of all, I was the only professional triathlete there and I was surrounded by these world-class obstacle course racing. Spartan guys, yeah. Spartan guys that zero fear, just like this is just what they do. And some of the stuff you had to climb 50 feet in the air, you had to like climb over things. And so like what people didn't realize, it was roughly 400 meters, like uh -huh. 300, 400 meters between each obstacle. And it's pitch black. It's happening in the middle of night. Like a lot of these races were happening at 12 o'clock, one o'clock at night. Cause you know, they wanted, they, these guys are so obsessed with everything being perfect and lighting. So they just were waiting for everything to be perfect. Right. And so you had the stress of worrying like, all right, you don't want to give up a million dollars. You don't like, they didn't really tell you who you were racing. So you had no idea. No one knew what your matchup is. It was just kind of like when you're standing behind stage, you hear this person being like, yeah, I'm going to win. And like all these people are fit with they're, these amazing swords, right? Yeah. You know, like every competitor you're going up against, you had no idea what you're about to face. So your heart's pounding. And then on top of that, they get a head start that we were all calculating that, okay, if it's 400 meters and someone gets a two minute head start, they literally just had to run a certain pace and complete obstacles in a certain pace. And we were just like, it's gonna be hard to catch them. So when you have that level of stress where, you know, in your head, you're just calculating everything and so just knowing that you are just running as fast as possible. That person's running as possible because 
listen, when someone says, if you complete an obstacle and you get $10,000, you're literally talking about an 800 meter run and you get $10,000. An 800 meter run that literally needs to be completed in five minutes. With one obstacle, you were getting $10,000. You make it to the second obstacle, right? You're getting 25,000. So people are running fast, right? And then when you're, you're standing on stage and they're giving you a play-by-play, you're able to watch what's happening. You're seeing this person get to the first obstacle. You're like, oh goodness, <laughs> right? They just made money on you. As well as you, I'm like, I don't want like to embarrass these people. I don't want to be the guy that gives up this money. So like they had Garmin watches on this and you know, you obviously couldn't really see your pace, but they didn't show that at the end of those races, after you caught someone, like people were laying on the ground. Like you were like, like you were gasping. I was easily running like 5.30s, 5.15s. And like you're watching on TV. I'm like, man, they're not even show. They're not even. You can't tell. Yeah. You can't tell. And, and you're not like, cause the editing's making it look like it took that person a long time, but it's like, it's not like that person literally got to that optical in like two minutes and then they got through it in 30 seconds. So, like, to some of us that, like, when the person's, like, running to the second obstacle, you're thinking that you're running, you're trying to get to that first obstacle within a minute, in the dark, jumping through curbs, right, hooking on the things, jumping off the platform, and, you know, so for me, my last race, I thankfully, like, I had this guy, and he had made it to the third obstacle, and I was just like, oh, my goodness, like, is, is this going? Like, is this like, am I going to be the guy that's going to give up a million dollars? And thankfully, the fourth obstacle was a water obstacle, right? And this water obstacle was essentially this makeshift customized shipping container that was roughly like 18 to 20 yards long. So they don't show you. It's it's almost a length of a 25 oh, a pool. Yeah. 25 pool. Then it had a 30 vertical. It had really good, um, it had really good handholds. But that doesn't matter when you're filled with lactic acid and you've got to climb like an overhang. So I, at least with that triathlete background, like many of us have done the swim, run workouts and stuff, or just that ability yeah. to run down a beach and dive in the ocean. You just have that ability to just run as hard as you can. And so I'm running. I see this guy. He's getting ready to dive in the water. I'm just running. I just dive off this platform, dive in do a few strokes, like shake my arms out underneath water. And I just like pop up. I'm like, I got to beat this guy. And thankfully, I think he fell off. And like my arms are pumped and I made it to the top and I got him out on the fourth obstacle. So, so do you guys, you don't tackle them, right? You just have to catch them. Nah, you just have to catch, you have to pass them on the obstacle and press the the button to get them right. out before they do. Very cool. Now, yeah. Tim, Tim Tebow was the host, right? So you got to spend yeah. some time with him? So that was the other crazy experience. It's just like, you're just in this one world and the next thing you know, like we didn't even know Tim Tebow was going to be the host, right? Like we found that out there. And like, I think I had just got done doing a run and the next thing you know, I see Tim Tebow walking and right, we're all roughly the same age. I'm like, whoa, whoa, Tebow? <laughs> and so the whole time we're all trying to talk, we're talking to Tebow. And then that also add to the race experience because I'm getting ready to race and I'm like, Tebow's like there, like talking to me. He's like, all right, man, so how you feeling? You ready? Like, like in between shots, I'm like, Tebow's talking to me right now. So this is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and did you get to meet LeBron? LeBron, so that was during when like the Lakers were having their little like iffy season. Oh, so yeah. we all kind of understood that if he would have 
been shown on like one of his production sets right because this was right when he moved to the lakers so right. i mean but like you know i met his team and like you know i was in contact with his team and that was very cool just to talk to them and you know i was very thankful for that so are you back to uh you when this craziness is over are you back to triathlon I would like to. Uh, I think the the uniqueness is I've been training long lately. Uh, I've been, you know, doing a lot of long runs and, you know, I'm healthy right now. We're lucky that there's this lagoon 20 minutes from our house. I just now got back into the water. I've been swimming. So Ironman? Is that you're talking Ironman? Is that uh, I, what I'm hearing? You know, I think half Ironmans, right? Perfect. Like, you know, I think yeah. that's that's going to make sense for me just because I'm enjoying it now. But I'm a bigger guy from a physiological standpoint. I still just come from a power-based background. And the data still says that, like, my body still needs some time to adapt. But, you know, I've always had some long-term goals in this sport. Uh, I've always, you know, had patience with this sport. And uh, I'm flexible. And, you know, I'm really willing to see where this goes. Okay, I'm going to ask you some quickie questions here. Sure. Toughest moment in your triathlon career or in, the, uh, in your career on the, the Million Dollar Mile? Uh, my toughest moment in my career actually uh, would probably would have been all those times where I went with like nothing in my uh, – nothing in my bank account. And, you know, there were just multiple times where I just spent all the money I had on a plane ticket to go to a race. You know, I've done that quite a few times. That's the ultimate uh, pressure. You go to a race and it's not like, I want to win some prize money. If I want to pay my rent, I need to win some prize money. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Happiest memory. Getting my pro card. That, uh, that told me that anything that I put my mind to, I can achieve it. So accomplishing that goal. What has made you great at what you do? The adversity I face, all the hard times. Uh, what happens is when we go through those hard times, they make you stronger, right? So when we pray or when I ask for strength or when I ask for guidance, I think I used to think it just comes in this way of like, oh, here you go. Right. But it really comes in, in the way of hard times that then tell you that, like, hey, you can really get through these tough times. Hardest training session that you've had? Uh, hardest training session goes to Stanford test sets. Right. So if you ever get a chance to come up to this area, you can go to a Stanford Masters uh swim training session they have what are called test sets and it's 20 100 meters on minus fives in your lane and when tim reynolds coach tim puts you through that he's like this is how you know if you're supposed to be in that lane is if you can do 20 100 meters uh on minus five in your lane so for me that's the 125 lane so you know coming in 115s Oof. so uh, you mentioned you have your own coffee business now I do. Yeah. Fen Coffee. I love that. How's it doing? We're doing great. We continue to grow. We're looking at brick and mortar locations. So we're looking at opening up a location in San Francisco. Obviously what's going on, we're just kind of tiptoeing, but we have our, you know, we're in talks with the brick and mortar locations. Uh, We're we're in talks with a brick and mortar location in SF. So we're looking to execute on that. And what do you think is going to be next for you as an athlete? 
Next for me, uh, I'm doing more trail running, right? Uh, Spartan Trails got money going on over there. I like doing Spartan races. I think more professional triathletes should be checking out Spartan Trail races. Literally, you don't need to do any training, right? The sport's there. They're giving money. And I just hope there's more crossover starting to happen between these endurance sports. So uh, Spartan Trails. And then when my body's ready, I definitely want to uh, do some more 70.3s. Especially Santa Cruz, you know, Santa Cruz 7.3s right here in Santa Rosa. Okay, for all of us folks who uh, are sort of struggling right now, trying to figure out, okay, we, we know uh, that African Americans in this country have been treated poorly forever and ever. What is your message to all of us to let us know that, hey, this, this is what you should be doing. This is what, what we would appreciate you doing. Yeah. Well, so my message is, is this, what's going on now is between good and evil, love versus hate, right versus wrong, right? And silence right now is meaning that you are complicit with the negative and the murder and the injustice that you're seeing. It might make you feel uncomfortable. It might cause you to lose some friends, but standing up for what's right is all that matters right now. And right now there's just uh, a group of people that had dealt with just some trauma and some injustices. And what we need is we need white people's voices, right? We need yes. people that are in a position of privilege to speak up on our behalf. The reason is David Goggins recently said this, I was watching what he recently said that caused me to reflect on is that I've had a good amount of black people helped me to get to where I am in triathlon. Mm -hmm. But I have had a lot of white people get help me get to where I am. There have been a lot of people behind the scenes that have opened up the doors. And what we're saying is when change happens, it often happens when white people say, hey, I'm going to make it happen. So if you're just in that position, we're saying have a conversation with some people or maybe reach out to a friend of yours and see how they're, I've had people reach out to me and ask me how I'm doing. That's right. how I'm going to heal right now, right? Yes. Listening, you know, you reaching out to have this conversation, you asking this question, that's how I'm going to heal. Some of the best healing situations I've had is when I've walked into the Stanford locker room and I haven't been around for a while, and these white guys are like, dude, where you been? Where you been? Because I don't ever have white people caring for me. The media puts it out that way, says they don't care for me. So... You know, when you reach out to me or when so-and-so in the, the, the swimming room says, like, where have you been? That heals me. That tells me that I matter. That right. tells you that you, you care about me. There are professional triathletes. Shoot me a DM and say, Max, let's have a conversation. What do I, like, have a private conversation with me. The same way, you know, I've had other friends that have spoken out on this issue and then they got it wrong and I said that they got it wrong. And then we're jumping on the phone an hour later. And then they're, okay, okay, I understand what you're going through. Have a conversation with me so I can tell you the private stories I've dealt with, the trauma I have in triathlon, right? The racist experiences I've dealt with in triathlon. And then decide, do you want to be a voice for change? Like, this is civil rights. This is a turning moment. This is that moment where you have that opportunity to just stand up for what's right, to, you know, point your moral compass in the right direction and say, you know what, I might lose some friends, I might lose some sponsors, and people might frown on me, but you know, I'm not okay with murder, I'm not okay with racism, I'm not okay with injustices, and because that, 
you know, I understand that all lives matter, but in this particular case, we're focused on black lives mattering and I'm in a position of privilege. So I'm going to be a voice for them. Now, did you have experiences in the sport of triathlon that were racist in nations? I have so many experiences. Even when this stuff happened, you know, my coach is getting on, on the phone with me being like, man, we've had, like, he's like, I don't even, like, he's like, Matt, since I've known you, you know, there's just been something happening to you on a consistent basis that he's just had to listen to. Really? Where yes. races didn't want you there or they were... Private, private messages, private... Con- I've had friends at races at, at triathlon races call me up and say hey man i just heard these pros saying these things about you and i need to let you know who aren't your friends right wow. like i've had i've had people that i was like man like i, I hope i'm cool with that person one day and i and i'm hopeful and then like this per, like it gets back to me that they they said these things about me or you know people making instagram profiles about me to insult me or you know the comments that I see and it's like you know I got into the sport because it was I thought it was inclusive right yes. the story the story of how I got into the sport is people giving me an opportunity and pushing me along right. and saying keep going max if you want to be a pro keep going right yeah. so you know that's why I hope certain people do reach out to me and just apologize or just say like hey I, I've been one of those people that have said those things because the list is long Right. It's not unbelievable. Liz. Unbelievable. I mean, that that's what I've always told people. What's great about our sport, besides being an equal opportunity abuser, that any anybody can come out and do it. It's also the fountain of youth. We want 90 year olds racing. We want everybody to race. Everybody should love the sport as much as as we both do. Right? Exactly. So I, I, I hate hearing that, Max, that you went through that type of crap, because that's just it's unconscionable to me. You know, it's like. Yeah. When you're racing, even if you're racing other pros, you're really racing yourself. You're racing the exactly. course. That's right. what's so great about this. There's no, it's not like cycling where you're sitting on somebody's wheel and not the best guy. Best guy's going to win. 99.9% yeah. of the time, the best guy's going to win. So there's really no exactly. reason for exactly. any type of personal attacks whatsoever. So. Exactly. On behalf of the sport, I apologize that you've gone through that crap. That's awful. Because that keeps you from recommending the sport to other people. I mean, and to be honest, Bob, that's why I started taking a look at Spartan because a lot of people don't know this. Joe DeSena sent me a message and said, it was Max, hey, do you want to come do a Spartan race? Like Spartan has reached out to me, yeah. right? Like yep. they, like, and the thing is, I go to, you know, these races and, and it's back when people are like, hey, where are you from? Like, what do you got, what are you up to? Like, what races? Like, that's how it used to be in triathlon, right? And, right. you know, now like I go to a race and I'm like, oh. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, oh god. Joe's Joe's one of my favorite people. I've been yeah, interviewing yeah. Joe since he first started, sir, uh, first started um, Spartan. So yeah. Cool. Hey Max, thanks so much for for taking time. Best of luck yeah. with the coffee. So can people find the coffee company online and order? Yeah, FenCoffee.com or at FenCoffee online. Fen F E N. F E N N Coffee. Fen, and what does that stand for? Finel, my last name. Fen ah, <laughs> shortened Finel. I think yeah. Finel coffee's better. Come on now, man. Yeah, and I thought about it, but then I was just, I, oh, so what it was is I, yeah. when I was brainstorming, I thought about pen and always being like, if I ever made uh, branding shirts to put Fen coffee, but in the, the pen colors because of, you know, you know, I get University. It. Yeah. I love it. 
Max, you're the best, man. Thanks so much for taking time. Always a pleasure to catch up with you. Bob, thank you for everything that you've done to help me with my career. I truly appreciate it. Love it. Max Finale has been our guest. We're brought to you by PTO, the Professional Triathletes Organization. You might need to join that, Max, and jump back nice. in. Amp yeah. Human, Velo Fix, Norma Tech Form Goggles. You can, of course, our Challenge Athletes Foundation. We just sent out 3,921 grants, totaling $5.9 million to keep Challenge Athletes in the game of life through sport. This has been Breakfast with Bob. My name is Bob Babbitt. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. See you next time. Bye, Max.